Hello, my friends, Brian here. In today's conversation, I want to talk with you about the power and importance of daily routines. I think you probably have a daily routine, even if your routine is not having a routine. <laughs> There's some kind of a routine there. And as a coach, I have seen, I've seen in my own life as well, that all human behavior is a series of patterns. So as I prepared for this solo cast, I thought, what could I share that might be of value to you? Before I get into that, I want to do two things. One is I want to share with you a story about my six-year-old daughter. I'm actually going to do that at the end because it ties into my daily routine. And number two is I want to invite you to really think about if you haven't or you haven't recently thought about your own routine and is your routine supporting you? First of all, do you enjoy it? Is it fulfilling in and of itself? Now, I know given the commitments that we have, the obligations that we have, many of us feel a limited sense of freedom or ability to really shape our life exactly as we want it to be. But I hope that's one thing that this conversation does for you as well is helps wake you back up to if you've gone to sleep to any degree about your ability to really be the leader of your own life and to determine how you want to live, what you will do, what you won't do. I often think about how remarkable it is that you can change your entire life with a single decision. If you think about it, now these are extreme, but extreme to make a point that you could never speak English again. You could decide that right now and live the rest of your life that way. You could decide to change hands with which you write. I used to be right-handed. Now I write left-handed. I made that decision when I was 18 and I've lived from that. You could move to India or Vietnam or anywhere and live the rest of your life in a different country. You could choose to leave the person you're with, find someone new, blah, blah, blah. By now you get the point. But I think we often forget, A, that we have power and freedom, and B, about the significance of a single decision to change our life. Now, in today's conversation, it's about a routine. So it's about perhaps many decisions. Now, one of the things that many people struggle with when they are working to change their life is they work to change so many things at once. But you didn't become the person you are, probably, by changing so many things at one time. Instead, they were gradual. They were single decisions here and there. And you do the things you do because they work to some degree, or at least they did at one point in your life. All of life is a series of transitions and hopefully of growth and evolution. So if the things that you're doing don't serve you as well as they might, maybe today is an opportunity to really look at that and consciously map out what would your ideal day look like if there was a single day that you could live day in and day out. Now, this is ignoring things like vacations, things like catastrophes. Into each life, a little rain must fall. People die. People get hurt. People get sick. So there are interruptions. And by the way, you might get sick of your routine. There's a poem called Hokusai Says, and one line in that poem is, repeat yourself as long as it is interesting. So that's the invitation. But we know, you know, there's this saying that the unexamined life is not worth living. And if you haven't consciously created your routine, okay, so I'm saying a lot before I even get to the daily routine. So I want to be sure that that doesn't get lost. 
the invitation to you as a reader, before we even embark on this about routines, is to actually sketch out your ideal day from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. Roughly, looking at this as kind of an average or a composite, even if you're not sure. Many people are faced with a blank page and they seize. They just freeze up. And the chance here is to treat this like an artist or imagine that maybe if it's freeing for you, someone else. Or if there was another circumstance, maybe if you were (sighs) completely unencumbered, if you weren't beholden to anyone, if you didn't have whatever it is, that job, that relationship, that debt, and just to look at it that way. Because I think many of us don't honor the truth of our own desires. And that's a point where, man, this is maybe dramatic, but that's where our spirit begins to die, is where we're really not even aware of or honest about what it is that brings us to life. So for the sake of the exercise, even if it feels like it's a long ways off or it feels impossible to really just go through on a single page, whether it's in an Excel spreadsheet and you're more analytical and you're going to put down, I would wake up at 9 a.m. or whatever, and I would go to bed at 1 a.m. or 9 p.m., whatever it is for you, or sketching it out in a journal or on a piece of paper, you don't have to show anyone. Again, you get to edit it and revise it. I remember when I did this for the first time, one of the analogies that came to mind for me was about a racetrack. Now, I used to work at Miller Motorsports Park, a motorsports playground my dad ended up spending about $110 million to build. It was really amazing, really special place, full of passion, horrible business model, but full of passion. And I didn't have much exposure to racing or to motorsports before that. And I gave, I gave it a go. I go-karted and I even participated in the Mustang challenge and was able to drive some other race cars on the track, which is pretty cool. And one of the things that I learned about that maybe you have too, is something called the racing line. If you've ever played a video game, you might've seen this in a really visible way, which is there's a, a path that sometimes displayed that You know, it's like a red or yellow line around the racetrack. It's an imaginary line in real life, but in video games, it's sometimes depicted. And what it is, is it's it's this theoretical line around a racetrack that will provide the shortest lap time. In other words, it's the optimal route around a race course. Now, why did that come up for me in discussing an ideal day? Well, because every day is kind of like making a lap around a racetrack, In some ways, it's exactly the same. You've got 86,400 seconds to navigate, just like you might have 3.2 miles to go around a road course or something like that. And from a certain point of view, there's an optimal route through that day. And you determine it. I don't think it's the same for any one of us. Of course, there might be commonalities. We might like someone else's or whatever. But ultimately, what's important here is that it's your line, that it's your path through this day. So as you think of that, what is it that would fulfill you? What are the elements that if they were there, they would really represent you living your best life, being the person you want to be, living the life you really want to live, making the contribution you want to make? Would there be exercise? Would there be a nap? Where would you wake up? In your own bed or in a foreign city? Every day, would it be a new city? Would it be near a beach or in the mountains, in the desert? What would you do? Would you meditate? Would you pray? Would you journal? Would you read? 
all these kinds of things, would there be interaction with people or would you be alone? And again, this is not something that most of us are taught by anyone. Our parents don't encourage us to do this. They tell us what to do. That's their job. Help us grow up, become responsible and hopefully self-sufficient. So the chance here is to create this for yourself if you haven't already. I remember when I did this, I created mine and I hung it on my bathroom mirror, what my ideal day was, which reminded me of that saying that Steve Jobs said. I believe it was in his famous Stanford commencement speech about whenever I wake up and I look in the mirror, it was something like this. Whenever I wake up and I look in the mirror and I ask myself, do I want to do what I'm about to do today? When the answer to that is no, too many days in a row, I know it's time to change something in my life. And that was interesting for me because when I mapped out my ideal day and it was on a single page and I hung it on my bathroom mirror and I would look in the mirror and I would ask, do I want to do what I'm about to do today? There was a high degree of days that the answer to that was no. But what was right there was what my ideal day would look like. It would for me, and it does now, involve meditation and reading and exercise and time with people I love and a mix of solitary pursuits and social pursuits. I eat, for the most part, yummy, nutrition, nu- nutritious food. So it can seem selfish, but I don't think it is because if you are showing up as the best version of yourself, as the most alive version of yourself every day, what greater gift could you give to those around you? Now, some people won't like that, but guess what? Some people won't like the things you do and who you are regardless of what you do. So when you really get that, that it's not your job to please other people. It's not your job to condition yourself or shape yourself to fit into a little box so that other people approve of you. And you get that you have the chance to live a life that really is fulfilling, not selfish. I'm not advocating, unless it's what you want, hedonistic, pleasure-seeking, self-gratification, this kind of thing. Now, I doubt the kind of person who is self-aware enough to sit down and map this out, that those are going to be their primary pursuits. And there's no judgment anyway. If that was what you wanted and brought you to life, then by all means, as long as you're not hurting yourself or anyone, go for it. But I doubt that's the case. And at any rate, this is a bit of a tangent, but I'm going to share it here. When you really wake up to the fact that there's no pleasure or desire that you will ever fulfill that will bring you lasting satisfaction anyway, and you see that in some way the pursuit of gratification is an empty pursuit, then you can get on to living what is perhaps a more conscious life, a life of self-expression, a life of creativity, a life of contribution, a life in service to something bigger than yourself. So your ideal day, back to that. And mine. So I will share with you I debated whether or not I would share this because it feels very personal to me, Uh, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, in case A, it's interesting, B, it's useful, and maybe it inspires you to craft your ideal day in a way that's really nourishing to you. And I'll say this too, the current morning routine, now I have a morning routine, I have an evening routine. And as I've already suggested to you with your own freedom and ability to modify yours, I have modified this. And I'm sure I will continue to, again, repeat yourself as long as it is interesting. I'll preface this too by saying, first of all, that human beings are meaning-making creatures. We know that. Now, we're not always aware of that, what the meaning is, or do we 
choose in a way that's empowering for us. But for me, the routine that I'm about to share with you that I live every morning is full for me of symbolism. And my routine was also inspired, I'll say this, by my dad. So my dad, a very successful entrepreneur, he died in 2009, but before he did, he built what is today a multi-billion dollar group of companies, again, with a lot of smart and talented people helping. But I believe for him, it was in service of something bigger than himself. But I share all that because he was a person who was very routine oriented. And I think that served him. Now, for some people, the idea of a routine itself is horrifying. (laughs) And if that's you, that's fine. If your life is working. Now, if there's some result you don't have, or there's something you have in your life that you don't want, maybe your routine is a place to look. But again, if your life is working for you, man, or woman, keep doing it by all means. But if you're looking to take your life to another level, you know, maybe you'll find a way to do that in your daily routine. Gustave Flaubert said, be regular and orderly in your life so that you may be violent and original in your work. So this idea that when you have a structure that supports you, that it's easier to make a creative contribution or some kind of work of self-expression than it would be if you're constantly looking for your keys or wondering where you put that piece of paper or if bills are overdue and you're just now discovering it. And now you're in this cyclone of what some people might call crazy making. And one of the things that I think about, this is the coach in me, I think that many people, they subconsciously self-sabotage Because living that way in a constant state of reaction is a lot easier than taking responsibility for what we really want and then making the commitment to do that thing no matter what, knowing that some people won't like it, they won't approve of it, we might fail, we might look bad. But if you're looking really, again, to elevate the quality of your life, and as far as we know, this is it. Like this is the one that you've got. So what are you going to do with it? And is a routine something that can help you take it to the next level? So my dad, as a very successful entrepreneur who had a life full of his own routines, he carried coins around in his pocket, two nickels, two dimes, two quarters, two pennies. I don't think he was superstitious. Instead, my recollection is he explained that doing that routine meant that was the least amount of change one could carry and make change most easily to receive the least amount of change in return. That's kind of wordy. He might've said it more briefly, but that was something he did every day. And then he had these habits and routines that he lived with the reports that he looked at and all these different kinds of things to help make sure the company was performing in the way that he wanted it to. But the bottom line of all of that is that he built what he built with a set of routines. And I don't think there's any chance he would have had he had no routine whatsoever. And it's not a coincidence is what's here as a result of of routines. You know, Rudolf Steiner, he had this saying, I love this saying, rhythm replaces strength, that it doesn't require willpower or trying hard or wanting it so much when we put structures and processes in place that support us in producing our desired outcomes. Rhythm replaces strength in some ways. It's kind of poetic, but I think it's beautiful. For me, I learned the value of routine in a very powerful way when I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, I was very, I realized I'm very fortunate to have the freedom, the time, and the, and the means to go do that a few years ago. I went to Tanzania, climbed Kilimanjaro, and we signed up for a 10-day trek. 
And we got up to about 15,000 feet. And that was when every step was started for me to get really challenging. It started to get cold. I remember it was shortly after that, my zipper would freeze on the tent. And it became, I won't say it was a matter of life and death. I don't think my life was necessarily in danger. We were very, very well taken care of. But what I started to find was that it was a lot harder for me to function and enjoy myself if I didn't know where things were, like my headlamp or my hat or my gloves or my boots. And in that journey, I got so clear that saying a place for everything and everything in its place. And not only has that served me when I brought it home. Now, I'm not perfect at this by any stretch. And there's no one that could tell you that better than my wife. But I have endeavored to have a pocket for everything I carry and a place for everything. Now, in some way, and I won't say that's OCD. I know that's actually offensive to people that have that as a true disorder. But I will say I have become really disciplined about that. And not only has it improved the quality of my life as I go throughout each day, but I do believe it's made me more effective in different things that I do, like bringing you this podcast today. I don't know that I would have the confidence and the the courage to be able to do that if I just spent the last 15 minutes looking for my XLR cable <laughs> or the password to my computer, you know, this kind of thing. So anyway, Kilimanjaro was a really tangible experience for me on that And uh, if you feel like, man, that's not you or it's not worth it, you know, that kind of thing. My invitation is you to really look at what is it that you want to create or contribute and how is it that implementing process and routine in your life could really be the difference maker between, again, just trying really hard or wanting it badly, you know, or something like that. So back to the morning routine that I now follow. So what I do every morning And I talked about the meaning-making creatures and how symbols uh, are very powerful for us. If you've read any of the work of the mythologist Joseph Campbell, Hero with a Thousand Faces, The Power of Myth, this kind of thing, I'm not aware of any thinker who's really helped us to understand that more powerfully than, than Mr. Campbell. So I've taken some of that kind of, what are these things that are ritualistic, perhaps, and started my day with those. So as I go to get dressed, now this is after I meditate, which is the, it's actually the second thing I do after I pee. That's maybe more personal than you needed to know, but I wake up, then I drink after I pee, drink a glass of water. Then right now what I've been doing is I've been reading five minutes from the same book. Then I meditate 21 minutes, get up. At this point, I then get completely undressed, usually wearing my pajamas, maybe a jacket, And when I'm completely undressed, standing alone in the bathroom, what I have is I've got a little tray where I put my personal effects. If I ever get arrested or you watch me in a movie, like this will be the bag that the little warden or whoever, (laughs) you know, the, the officer hands me back all my stuff and I check, this will be all those things. So I first put on a necklace and the necklace has a cross and the cross is black diamond and it's not because I'm Christian. It's because the power and symbolism of the cross for me is so strong. First of all, it's a plus sign in some way. It's this image of positivity. I love the symbolism I learned from, uh, this was Houston, Houston Smith. 
He talks about the cross is a representation of the two planes we all exist on, the physical and the spiritual. And the physical is the horizontal and the spiritual is the vertical. And if you look at it, the vertical is the, the longer or the greater portion of the two. That it's a reminder of the spiritual being that we all are, or at least that I believe we are. Beyond that, I love the symbolism of it too. I have another friend who pointed out that the cross is a box. Like if you took a six-sided figure, like a cube, and you unfolded it, that's a, that's a cross. And so there's a sense of freedom or unboxingness that comes from it. So I've worn this necklace every day for probably 12 years. And I, I realize I might be venturing into the realm of superstition when I say, I make sure I wear it every time I ride my motorcycle. <laughs> but in that way, even if it's only the placebo effect, it has a powerful effect on me thinking of paying attention and being careful and you know what I'm, uh, what I'm really here for on life to serve and love others. So that's the first thing. The next one I put on is actually a Christmas gift I got this year. It's an anchor. It's a little, not a big anchor. It's a little amulet that's in the shape of an anchor. And both of these are made by David Yerman. I think they're beautiful pieces of art. So this reminds me of something that Yogananda's guru, Swami Sri Yukteswar said, forget the past. The vanished lives of all men are dark with many shames. Human conduct is ever unreliable until anchored in the divine. Everything in the future will improve if you are making a spiritual effort now. And I endeavor to really look at what is it that is beautiful and maybe even divine in all of our natures and my own included. And how can I live from that space? I used to put on some mala beads that I got from Yogananda's ashram in San Diego. The guy who wrote Autobiography of a Yogi, the book that inspired me to start meditating I was recently at a jazz game sitting on the front row and my necklace broke and the beads spilled onto the floor <laughs> right during the game. I couldn't believe it. I've been wearing this necklace for years. And when I put it on every morning, what I would make it mean or take it to mean was the teachings of all my teachers as best I could, you know, to remember and live those each day. After it broke, I collected as many of those beads as I could and I now wear it as a, a bracelet. So I've remade that. I made it as a bracelet. I also wear another bracelet that is blue and brown. It's, I think it's lapis and I don't know what the other stone is. But I take that for the earth, for the skies and the oceans and the, and the earth itself. And I think about the impact of my life on this planet and my responsibility to live lightly if possible, and to encourage and assist others to do the same. From there, I put on my wedding band, and I think about my commitment as a husband and to my, to my kids and to my family. And the last thing I put on is my watch. And I think about all of this work and all of this awareness occurring within the finite span of time as I experience it as a human being, and how precious time is, and how living and operating inside it can make all the difference. Now, that point, by the way, I think is really interesting how we can experience time as, what's the word, scarce or abundant, that we can live with this idea that, man, there's too much to do and not enough, or in some way, eternity is in this moment. And I do think that it's a choice through the awareness that we bring to it. So all of that, now that's a lot, maybe, 
right? All this stuff, man, Brian, are you really standing there in the mirror, like having these thoughts as you put this on and all of it before you even put on any clothes? That's like, you know, I actually do. But the intentionality of that, is that the kind of life you're living? Now, if you don't want to, or that sounds overwhelming, like, okay, great. I totally get that. That's fine to each his own or her own. But if there's something that really represents for you, I would say, again, an anchor, a point of connection, uh, a height to which you're aspiring, or perhaps you already are, is there a way that you can integrate that into a routine and throughout each day? So that's the invitation there. So, okay, that was my routine. Now, the last thing, I told you I was going to tell you a story about my six-year-old daughter. And then I'll tell you about my evening routine, and then we'll be done. That will be the routine for this. We'll finish up. Last night, I was downtown in Salt Lake City. I was with my six-year-old, the sun had just set, and she could see the red lights on the buildings. And she said, Dad, what are those red lights for? And I said, they are so planes and helicopters don't crash into the buildings. And I don't know where she learns this stuff, but at six years old, and she just turned six, she said, you know the planes that crashed into the buildings in New York in 2002? <laughs> I was like, you weren't even born? And it was 2001, but yes, I remember. Why do you ask? And she said, well, maybe those buildings should have had those red lights. And I said, Maya, those buildings did have those red lights, but the people who crashed into those buildings did it on purpose. And she said, well, what happened to them? And I said, well, they died. They all died. And she said, why did they decide to do that? And I said, I don't know. And she said, maybe it's because they weren't grateful. <laughs> Whoa, the logic of a six-year-old was pretty amazing, pretty humbling, and pretty interesting to me that she even knew about that and that would put it together that way. But I share that because that brings me to my evening routine with my wife. You know, I've been married before, and in my first marriage, I didn't have intentional routines, didn't go to bed at the same time, didn't have any kind of thing I did with my wife before we went to bed. We didn't pray or do any kind of companion study or even watch a movie together. Like any, there wasn't really anything deliberate and intentional behind it. And with my current wife and my best friend and my soulmate, one of the things that we do every night before bed is we do have a moment where we reflect on what we're grateful for from the day. And we both share with each other, what are we grateful for from this day? And if one of us is traveling, we'll do it you know, by FaceTime or over the phone. But first of all, it's such a fun way for me to connect with her and just see, well, what, you know, what did you do today? What did you enjoy? What are you grateful for? And likewise for me to share with her about my day. But it's also wonderful because I know it can be easy to focus on what's not going well or what's not the way you want it to be. At least for me, that's very easy. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but at the end of a day when you're tired and especially if you've had any kind of a difficult day that sometimes these conversations that we have right before bed can have the opposite effect of creating peace and restful sleep, right? They can bring up sore subjects or, you know, things that are kind of ongoing disappointments in our life and that kind of thing. And, 
And the thing is, it's not to dismiss or minimize or pretend those don't exist. It's to be very deliberate about where we're putting our focus. And what I have learned is that it has been an incredible blessing over the last few years that my wife and I have been practicing this ritual of gratitude sharing with each other before we go to bed each night. So again, there, and that for me is after my evening meditation, by the way, which I do every night. And there, if you don't have something that you're already doing in the morning, in the evening, right before you go to bed, and you think it might somehow enhance your life, even if it feels like, where am I going to find the time? Well, first of all, you won't find the time. You only make the time for what's important, but you know that already. But what I want to invite you to remember is that no matter how far away the life we want seems, it's possible. And it won't happen without making it a choice, a decision, a commitment in many cases, and living into that future, which is always available and is an alternative to continuing to drift. So with that, thank you for listening. I hope this was enjoyable and beneficial for you. I hope you map out your ideal day for yourself if you haven't done so already, or perhaps revisit it. This can be more powerful, by the way, when it's in support of the answer to Tony Robbins' ultimate destiny question, two questions. What kind of person do you ultimately want to become in this lifetime? And what do you want your life to really be about? And then how is each day a reflection, a representation, an expression of that? Not just a random set of things you do or don't do, more likely. (laughs) Okay, so final thing here, the invitation subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already share it with someone if you got value and you think they might as well rate it on whatever podcast platform you're listening and head on over to goodliving.com sign up for my weekly email i call it three point thursday it's an inspirational email that contains things that you might find useful and enjoyable especially if your work involves coaching or serving others there's a hundred words each week on three different topics, hundred words to help you live a good life, hundred words to help you be a great coach and a hundred words to help you earn recognition and money. So with that, good luck in every endeavor until next time. Take care. Despite living in an age where we have more comforts and conveniences than ever before, life isn't working for many people. Whether it's in the developed world, where we're dealing with depression, anxiety, addiction, divorce, jobs we hate, relationships that don't work, or people in the developing world who don't have access to clean water or sanitation or healthcare or education or who live in conflict zones, there's a lot of people on the planet that life isn't working very well for. If you're one of those people, I invite you to connect with me at goodliving.com. I've created Life's Best Practices Breakthrough Coaching to help you navigate the transitions that we all go through. Whether you've just graduated school, you're going through a divorce, you just got married, you're headed into retirement, you're starting a business, you just lost your job, whatever it is you're facing, I've developed a 36-week course that you go through with me and a community of achievers and seekers who are committed to improving their own lives and the lives of others. So through this online program, you will have the opportunity to go deep into every area of your life, explore life's big questions, create answers for yourself in community get clarity and accountability. If that's something you're interested to learn about, I invite you to contact me directly 
at brian at brianmiller.com or by visiting goodliving.com. 